From CNN Audio, this is The Assignment. I'm Audie Cornish. And there is no higher compliment for an up-and-coming politician than to be called the future of the party. And in 2010, Eric Cantor, Paul Ryan, and Kevin McCarthy were more than happy to embrace that title. They even gave themselves a nickname, the Young Guns, which I'm, I'm only going to say it like that from now on. By now, you've probably seen the cover of that book because the photograph of the three of them is basically a political meme because they did, in fact, become a new generation of conservative leaders, a generation that could not hold on to their House speaker gigs or survive the wild swing towards Trumpism that happened under their watch. So today we're bringing in CNN contributor Essie Cup to break down what happened and how their stories explain the Republican House speaker mess today. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Is mess editorializing? I think that is the technical term. Yeah, I, yeah. I, think, I had I, debacle at first, and then I was like, too strong. That's too fancy. <laughs> I think that's too it's fancy. Too, it was, um, in fact, too fancy. <laughs> I think mess is correct. You know, it's funny. When you just said that, the future of the party, um, there's a great line in a, a movie called The Contender. I don't know if you ever saw yeah. it. It's one of my favorite political movies. And the president says to a, a fellow Democrat... You're the future of the Democratic Party, and you always will be. It was this sort of <laughs> underhanded way yeah. of saying, like, you're you're never you're never actually gonna be the party. You'll always just be the future of it. Rough. And that sort of stalled promise yeah. is really what happened to the young guns. They were well, the future of the party. Well, to set some context, like, I mean, I think we were covering journalism around the time, kind of coming into our own, and like. If you think about it, 2010, which is when this book comes out, this is post-Obama, and not just post-Obama, but post the phenomenon, the pop cultural phenomenon of Barack Obama, where the Republican Party has just had this experience where they had put up the late John McCain. (laughs) And next to Obama, for a variety of reasons, the voters effectively were like, He looks a little doddering. He looks a little not representative of where the country is now. So these like young guns, it was like a counter move, right? Like, look, we too have youngs. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) They know how to use the Internet. Like it was a vibe. They were in their 40s. And in fact, (laughs) a lot of the young guns that were recruited were in their 50s, 60s and some in their 70s. Okay, Um, (laughs) Puts it in perspective for me. Yes, the the goal was to put up a younger face of the party. It was also attempting to counter the other thing Obama had, which was cool. He was cool, and we didn't have cool. Okay, and but wait, I want to play the cool. ad for this because yeah, okay. you said they're not cool, and I want I'm people not. to judge for themselves. <laughs> so here's a, here's a <laughs> video put out at the time to advertise this book. America is at a crossroads. And Washington remains out of touch. The economy is not creating enough jobs. The bill is passed. The clip of Pelosi there, I think. Millions of voices ignored. This is my town hall meeting, and I I set the rules, and I've had these rules. You wouldn't let anybody speak. There is a better way, and a new team is ready to bring America back. Eric Cantor, Kevin McCarthy, Paul Ryan, joined by common sense conservative candidates from across the country. Together, they are ready to make history. 
Together, they are the Young Guns. Innovative, energetic, forging new solutions. One book will outline a vision to restore America's prosperity. Young Guns, a new generation of conservative leaders. <laughs> Spoiler alert. They were a new generation of young leaders. They did not lead the way they expected they would. And they did not lead the party they thought they would. They definitely underestimated where the party and where Republican voters were at the time. You know, I happened to like what the young guns stood for. And the knock on them was that they were establishment. And this was at a time where the Tea Party was coming up and the establishment was not what voters wanted. And But it was other just Republicans- before, right? Like 2010 is when it's like, what was the, the lineup? Paul Ryan, Wisconsin is supposed to be the thinker. Who's the policy wonk? Yeah. Who's the policy wonk? And mm-hmm. then you have Eric Cantor of Virginia. Mm-hmm. You're smiling. What was he supposed to be? The leader. But through the power of just working his way up, right, through the conference, becoming the guy who can count votes, all those things that we used to consider a superpower of being a legislator, he was a guy who could do those things. It was not crazy to think he would become leader, which is what he did. No, he was very smart. And there's a right kind of Republican for Virginia. He was that. He was one of the first Jewish members of in the Republican House. And he was. Um, and it was considered, again, in that post-Obama environment, a kind of step forward culturally for the party to embrace him. That was an important him. part of it. Yeah. yeah. That was and part of the, the media Ryan, dialogue, at least. Yeah. And, and, and Paul Ryan being the policy wonk and, you know, people really respected him and looked up to him. I knew Paul well, and I, I did, too. And I thought, yes, this is I want someone smart, well-read you know, who's been around, who knows how things work and who wants compromise. He talked a lot about poverty and things that other Republicans hadn't really talked much about. I liked Paul Ryan's vision for America. In fact, I I wrote him in in 2016 because I couldn't vote. Okay, that's hardcore. I am so glad you said that out loud. So you you are that person who was excited about the young gun. Hi, I'm the problem. It's me. You're the Um, and you wrote that name in. With high I hopes. was excited. I mean, not by the personalities, because I don't I'd never voted for personality um, the way that so many Republican voters do now. But I was excited for the policy. And I wanted our politicians to be quiet and go to work and keep their heads down and not run my life the way, you know, Republicans and Trump really seem to want to run your life today and be all you think about and all you talk about. That's not what I wanted. And so they represented that, too. So, yeah, I think I I was not alone. And what did Kevin McCarthy do at that time? He was supposedly the strategist, and that was always an odd fit. Look, he was always a prolific fundraiser and someone who had wanted to be speaker since he was a kid. He will tell you that. Since he was a kid, he wanted to be speaker of the House. That is odd. But he did. And so, you know, he could count votes. He could back slap. He knew where everyone was at. He, yeah. I guess he was a strategist. I think that makes him sound smarter than he is. But, but he was, <laughs> you know, he could find the consensus. We're making sure knew, your name is next to that statement in the transcript, just so we know. The room. I said it, you know. And yeah. But to your point, each one of those is a super, what used to be considered the major pillars of power 
as a lawmaker. You were either the super fundraiser backslapper person that just like everyone wanted to, their help and you would got yeah. the favors, blah, blah, blah. You were the legislator, like the person who could figure out the votes, the count, the like, should this be in reconciliation? What will happen at the Senate? Like the work of legislating. Or you were somebody who like was the policy driving the thinking of things. Yeah. Those all used to be valued powers. And one could argue that right now they are not. No, they're bad words. Um, Someone who cares about policy is completely irrelevant in today's Republican Party because Donald Trump didn't care about policy and, in fact, convinced a not small number of Republicans to abandon long held principles on policy because they were. But what about money? That seems like something important to him that should still be important. Like, I was shocked at how people were willing to get rid of Kevin McCarthy, master fundraiser for the party. He's a and machine. The, the people who have been nominated since and those who are running, none of them have a track record, right? Like none Wait, of them. You haven't heard of Austin Scott? <laughs> I'm just saying <laughs> none of them are prepared for the fundraising necessary yeah. to win the House and maintain the control but, Anna, of the you house. know this too. Winning is also not important anymore. If it were, Republicans wouldn't keep fighting these losing battles. You know, I don't think that's true. They believe that the fight's the fight, more important than the, the win. Fight, no, the fight is the win. Yes, I think they'd rather be in the minority because they don't want to legislate. They don't want to govern. They don't want to solve problems. They want to fight and they want to identify the correct enemies. And winning sometimes gets in the way of that. That's how backwards. Well, it's not that. It's just in a in the U.S. democracy where there are three branches of government, winning means you just get to move to the next stage of battle, which is dealing with the other branches of government. And that involves compromise. Right. The system is built for compromise. So it seems like there's always going to be friction from the people who don't believe in it. Well, exactly, because compromise is also counterproductive to the culture wars and owning the libs. And all of that is so much more important than it ever was to like Paul Ryan and, and Eric Cantor. They didn't want they didn't care about any of that. And they didn't think it was winning. They didn't know that it would be a winning project for so many Republicans. Um, and they they fought against it for a while and then they kind of capitulated to it. Right. And so he'll pressure it in. So just to close the loop on what happened to all of them, with Eric Cantor, he actually lost his seat to a person who I think is not even in Congress anymore, uh, but who was part of the rising Tea Party movement. And by Tea Party, I just want to give people some context. There was a kind of libertarian tip of the spear, fiscal panic, fiscal responsibility group of Tea Party people that sort of burst on the scene. And I feel like that movement over time obviously shifted into something else. But Eric Cantor sort of suffered in the first blossom of that movement. And then the next person who became House Speaker uh, in that group was Paul Ryan. He had a good run, 2015 to 2019. <laughs> also the rise of Trump. So how does this person who was the running mate of Mitt Romney who anybody who's Googled Mitt Romney in the last six months knows, not a Trump fan. How does that guy, how'd his speakership go? 
not well. I mean, all three of these guys have been victims of the Tea Party and then MAGA. Um, the Tea Party morphed into MAGA. And, and you're right, the Tea Party came about as a reaction against Bush, as a, uh, you know, from the right, as a reaction against the overspending of Bush bailing out the banks. And also neoconservatism, like the the wars and spending on war. Like, there well, I the used Tea to... Party wasn't as obsessed with um, ne the neoconservatism that came up in the 60s and 70s as it was fiscal policy to begin with, to start. But it dragged with it a populism that started paying more attention to personality and culture wars than it did policy. And then when Trump came along and MAGA came along, all the policy was gone and it became only personality and, and culture wars. And so I think the other interpretation of that is that when Trump came along, he became a proper figure to coalesce around. Right. So prior to that point, you had what? Rand Paul, you know what I mean? Ron Cruz, Paul, Paul Ted Cruz. I mean, it was a real guys. mix and none of them made you want to, no one coalesced around one figure, right? No, in 2016, we had 18 of them running, exactly. right? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And and so, yeah, all, Trump comes along and he's sort of literally a person they can get behind and that yeah. movement moves with him and that's happening as Paul Ryan is speaker. And he does accomplish some things, right? He helps get like a tax cut. Like he tries to mm -hmm. make it work. Does he try and make it work with them? Because you keep calling them victims. And I'm like, are they victims though? No, I mean, as I said, they were victims of and then, and then helped create the problem we currently have. And Paul Ryan tried to work with Trump a little. Um, I would speak to Paul privately and look, he was frustrated. It wasn't necessarily his job to be a check on the president. You know, the job of the speaker is to get more Republicans elected and, and get Republican legislative wins. But that job was being stymied by the president. And so he was frustrated. I mean, he and ended he up not relented. You know, yeah. he had had enough. Right. And he realized this is a losing argument. I don't have a president who cares about policy, which is all he cared about. And he had this faction in the Republican Party that was also disinterested in policy and much more interested in the fighting. But ha imagine you had been on the presidential ticket and you go from being a potential vice president, a House speaker to basically not leaving politics, but not running again. Right? Yeah. I mean, the end of that speakership, there's not a pretty bow on that. He just kind of survived it. For someone who was the future of the party, it was a pretty unceremonious end to what we all thought would be a very long career in Republican politics. And, you know, for me, that's a shame considering what we're left with. But I think he's probably happy to be out of this mess uh, because there was nowhere for someone like Paul Ryan to go. Similarly, I mean, there's nowhere for me to go. Like, there's a lot of us who are lonely and on an island with, like, no one representing us in politics and a Republican Party that we no longer recognize. I think that's probably where Paul Ryan is, too. Kevin McCarthy stayed the longest because I think he's the more craven of the three and sort of a shapeshifter, you know, and will go where the energy is.
Okay, I'm here with Essie Cup. We're talking about uh, the ghost of House Speaker's past. I don't know how else to put it. We're talking about the young guns, um, the future of the Republican Party, and where the House Speaker conversation goes next. We'll be back in a minute. Okay, so, Essie, the last person I want to talk about is McCarthy. Kevin McCarthy of California, prolific fundraiser, a person who he decided to ride that Tea Party wave and then the Make America Great Again wave and to bond himself, right? Right, any wave. True true loyalty to the former president, including after the overrunning of the Capitol, where his own colleagues were cowering, right? He, He still was forgiving of Trump after that. But he did watch Newt Gingrich, right? He was a young politician during Newt Gingrich's tenure as House Speaker. And the thing about Newt Gingrich is there's I see so much in the sort of modern take the fight partisanship of today in him. Like it feels like Newt was the architect to some of the things we see now. He was definitely on to something. And even like the fact that Newt who I also know real well, um, that Newt is, like, appalled by today's Republican Party is kind of funny. Yeah, and his House speakership sort of collapsed as well. He accused his conference of being cannibals. He said he couldn't work with cannibals. Um, But it feels like you're hearing the same thing over and over again. Right? I mean, he worked with Bill Clinton, and at a time where it was, you know, the, the parties were very divided, Newt's party was trying to impeach Bill Clinton, you know, and yet they were still able to find some consensus on things. But he was also the person who talked about being confrontational with the press, for instance, is beneficial because confrontation means more coverage, means you can talk more to the public and, quote unquote, educate. I mean, I don't think that's all that different from what a Matt Gates thinks he's doing, being confrontational, getting the (laughs) attention. <laughs> Matt Gates is a clown. Um, let's be let's be clear. New, don't you New think the Matt Gates of the world have learned a lesson about the power they can wield just by being the center of attention? I think yes. The the difference I I think again knowing Newt is I, I think Newt actually did want to legislate and govern and solve some problems. Yes, he was Nixonian in his front-facing demeanor and approach. But he actually did want to solve some problems. Matt Gates is completely disinterested in governing, legislating, and solving problems. He just wants to be famous, and he's not alone by any means. There's, you know, Marge oh. and Lauren, and, you know, you could name a bunch of them that really okay, just Okay, so Lauren, Lauren Boberts told reporters, I'm ready for someone who's going to throw down and not care who's in the way. That's what they're looking for out of a speaker. Allegedly. Yes. I I mean, enough people are not right that there has been the pushback, which is why we don't have a speaker. Enough people have decided sort of the revolt of the of the cucks, um, as it were. Oh, my goodness. No, you didn't. (laughs) No, you didn't. Yes, I'm a I'm a proud cuck. Myself, um, so I can oh, say it. my goodness. No, I did hear another Republican on air say something similar that it was. He said revenge of the rhinos. Yeah, they've been threatened. They've been insulted. They've been mocked. They've been told they have no spines. They're invertebrate. Let's go. Well, it seems like their spines are pretty damn stiff to me. Jordan. They've had enough. 
This is a revenge of the rhinos. This is a, the squish is striking back, and I am a proud card-carrying member of the Rhino Jeffrey. Squish and uh, Bedwetter Caucus. So I'm not saying it pejoratively. I'm saying these guys are standing Jeffrey. up strong. Oh, I think that was Charlie. I think that was Charlie Dent. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's the same. It's the same thing. So there are enough who are sick of the the show ponies and you know the Matt Gates drama and and attention getting. But obviously the house is divided in its approach and what it wants to do with its majority. Because like I said, I think they'd rather be in the minority. I think they're more comfortable being the resistance. Right. There's something to be said because you have a bad guy, you have yeah. somebody, you can have policies, you can attack mm -hmm. and you don't have to have responsibility in a way. Ideas, solutions. Well, right. <laughs> I was trying to be more generous. Okay, so let's do lessons learned because, you know, interestingly enough, in that video from 2010, they had a clip of Speaker Nancy Pelosi, Leader Pelosi, right? And Pelosi, I think, over the same 13 years, proved herself to be a leader fundamentally. Whatever you think of her Without politically, she proved she led, she passed things, <laughs> and then she stepped down obviously with some urging, but she was able to facilitate her own succession plan. There's really no better arc than that. And meanwhile, all of these names that we're talking about, Eric Cantor, Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, and arguably we should add John Boehner to that list, who also ended up exiting politics. Yeah. Um, that's, that's a whole generation, right? That's like a whole strata of people who did not end up leaders. And this is probably why we're in the situation we're in now, quite literally unable to see who the next leader is of the House and of this Republican conference. Like, is there a next tier? Um, were the young guns like... No. I, listen, there are young guns today. I, I, I will I will shock you and tell you George Santos is a young gun. Yes, today. I forgot. So Ke just so people <laughs> understand, Kevin McCarthy actually made a young guns like fundraising unit. Yeah. Like you had to reach a For certain threshold they'd yeah. support you. And I read that like a large number of those people actually did not want to certify the election. Like they became Trump people in the end, even. Yeah, there's not there's no policy tying the young guns together now. It's it's all personality. Um, so who's the future of the party? I guess that's a bigger question, nobody, right? No, as long as Trump looms as large as he does. And listen, I've been saying it's easy to get rid of Trump. That's easy to do. It's much harder to say no to a wing of voters that he ushered in. And for Republicans to move beyond Trumpism, they have to be willing to say to the Oath Keepers, the Proud Boys, the QAnon, the conspiracy theorists, that melange of grossness, they have to say, Trump let you in. We don't want you anymore. We are not your party. And they'll have to lose some elections to do that. Until they're willing to break with those voters They'll never be past Trumpism and and reoriented around founding principles. And the flip side is I hear MAGA representatives like on their podcasts and things like that saying until the rest of the party understands that, quote unquote, we are in charge, there's always going to be a struggle that this is just simply no longer their party. Well, they are in charge. That is a fact. They are in charge. You know, Adam Kinzinger's gone. Liz Cheney is gone. Jeff Flake is gone. 
the resistance is gone. They shoved good conservatives out the door to shrink the tent. I mean, it's it's so mind blowing. Or or to calcify or to or to let's say you're saying to shrink the tent. It also purify it. Yes. It sharpens. I've likened it to condensed orange juice. Uh, If you're my age, you say you are. (laughs) I believe you. You remember like the cans of condensed orange juice, right? You're meant to add water to make to make more of it. No one in this party wants to add water. They want the condensed version of a Trump party. And they're willing to shrink the party to achieve it, which is why they haven't won in in a very long time. For now, this vision that you have for the party, it's not going to surface in this House Speaker fight. Um, But all evidence points in the direction that, no, it will not. Again, this rise of the... Rhinos, if we want to call it, or, or or cucks, whatever, however you want, however you want to say it. That's important, and that is new. And whether that's out of a frustration that nothing's getting done, or a frustration from their voters back in their districts, but the frustration is there, and it's there in enough numbers that it's holding up the speakership. I don't think that's g- good, but it's it is interesting and different, and we'll have to see where that energy goes and what the new speaker does with that, with that energy. And if he he learns the lesson of Matt Gaetz. Well, Essie, thank you so much for mixing it up with me on this. I know like everyone in Washington is talking about how speakership is sort of like so rare for us to feel like we don't know what's going to happen next in a way. Sometimes things play out, especially in a partisan era, so predictably. And this weirdly has not. So thank you for helping us make sense of it. It's been a wild ride. Um, no, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Essie Cup is a CNN political commentator. That's it for today. New episodes of The Assignment drop every Tuesday and Thursday. And this episode, a production of CNN Audio, was produced by Anna Sterla and Dan Bloom. Matt Martinez is the senior producer of our show. Dan DeZula is our technical director. Our executive producer is Steve Lichtai. Special thanks, as always, to Katie Hinman. I'm Audie Cornish, and if you have an assignment for me, please give us a call. Tell me what's on your mind. The number is 202-854-8802. No political question is too big or too small. Thanks so much for listening.